Alrighty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Episode 47. Thank you for, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for checking this out. If you're a long-time listener, thank you for returning. It's always appreciated. Um, it means a lot. It's been it's been a wild 2020. I don't really want to kind of... I want to make these episodes as evergreen as possible, so I really won't get too much into what's going on now, but um, I hope you're safe. I hope your head's above water. Um, there's nothing that I can say that um, is, of, is of any kind of insight or... I don't know. Whatever can be said is going to be said by someone a lot smarter and a lot more intellectual and a lot more nuanced than anything I've got to say. So, yeah, I just hope you're doing okay. Um, so with that, don't want to you know be too much of a bummer. Again, this is the My Age Podcast. Um, if you're not aware, the My Age Podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Um, basically, we, it's a you know network of podcasts featuring kind of. Anything you could really imagine or anything you'd be really into, be it Star Wars or weird and wonderful shit or ex- uh, paranormal shit or a guys talking about Americana stuff and stuff that makes America interesting or the interesting things about America that aren't kind of on the map per se, um, you can check it out at podbelly.com. Um, we are also sponsored by Gringo Bandito, which, look... Look out, it's my favourite hot sauce. I'm not going to lie to you at all. I'd never lie to you. That's that's what I'm here not to do. I'm not here to lie to you. Um, you can, if you're in North America, you can buy it from the Amazons. Um, you can buy it from gringobandito.com. If you're in Australia, you can find it on eBay or you can go to blastoffimports.com. Look, it's, it's the greatest hot sauce. And if you don't believe me, then that's fine, but um, you're wrong, okay? I'm sorry, but you are wrong. It is the greatest hot sauce. If you're a first-time purchaser and you're interested in checking it out, uh, try the red. Just go the original red because if that doesn't set it off, then there's no, there is no pleasing you. Um, I would like my description of the red is whenever you go into, whenever you're like looking at the grocery section or whatever of your of the hot sauce, the condiments aisle. Um, in your shopping center of choice and you're like fuck I know exactly what I want this to taste like but I just don't know which one to get because there's so many brands and da 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 the gringo bandito red is what you imagine the hot sauce you want to buy tastes like it's, it's exactly it. it's not too hot it's it's a really really nice condiment with a bit of heat it's not too hot you know it's packed full of flavor and Without giving it too much of a sales pitch, even though I am, um, what what sets it apart from a lot of other hot sauces is that they go to the extra mile to use the best kind of products and uh, produce available. Look, if you buy it and you don't like it, get at me, and I'll glad you re- gladly refund you the money um, that you pay for it because that I guess it's a Pepsi challenge. I don't know. Um, it's fucking fantastic. Anyhow, today's show. Today's guest on episode number 47 is a gentleman named Joshua Alvarez, from, all the way from sunny Philadelphia. Um, he sings in a band called Crossed, Key, Crossed Keys, um, who released a new album last year, which is called Saviors, which was fucking great. And if you're paying attention to the 
you know, my 2019 top 10 punk list, uh, they featured on it because I think it was a fucking great release. And I hope you did too. He also hosts a podcast called Cinepunks, which is basically, you know, a couple of punk rockers who also like cinema. And so they talk about obscure movies or popular movies um, with, you know, like-minded people, which is definitely a lot of fun and worth checking out. Um, Just like, I've listened to a few episodes and it's just a really, it's just, you know, you don't have to be a, a, you know, a fully flexed cine head or whatever. Um, you can just enjoy a couple of people talking about their love of movies and just shooting the shit, um, which is always kind of fun to do. Alrighty. So what else is going on? Um, if you want to follow us on the socials, My Age Podcast, all one word, M-Y-A-G-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, we're on, I'm on, it's on, it's, no, yeah, Instagram and Facebook because fuck Twitter and it's garbage fire of garbage fireness um so yeah that's about it um before we do the interview i've got a song so josh joshua mentions a band later on um kind of in the in the conversation a band called slumped s-l-u-m-p-e-d and he gave him such a raving review that um once we finished the conversation i kind of went and checked him out and i was like this guy these guys fucking rule um so I reached out to them um, and asked them if I could use a song from their album that was released last year, um, at, you know, just as a little feature thing, which I try to do every once in a while at the start of the episode. So, yeah, this is the the band's called Slumped. They're from Oakland, California. You can find them at Bandcamp, or on their Bandcamp website, which is slumped, S-L-U-M-P-E-D, dot bandcamp, dot com. Uh, this is the first jam off their their self-titled album from last year. The song's called Felon. Um, thanks for listening. And I look forward to you returning for another episode or whatever, you know. Hopefully go back and check out some old pod episodes as well. If you like this one, hit me up. You know, just keep it moving. Just, you know, I don't know. I'm rambling now. Um, cool.
All right, he got on the line, Josh Alvarez, one from one of Philadelphia's finest bands, uh, Cross Keys. They released an album late, I think it was in October last year, called Saviors uh, on Hellminded Records. You can check it out on all the streaming platforms and band camps and all that kind of weird and wonderful jazz. Josh, how you doing, mate? How you doing, Joel? Nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too, you too, absolutely. Um, so we had a quick discussion a bit, uh, before we kind of hit record about, you know, you know how this all works and you've listened to part of Sean from Sunstroke's episode. Um, I guess we'll just jump ahead first. Sean's the best. Sean is the, Sean is the best. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. Um, <laughs> cool. Let's jump in head first. Like, tell us about your parents. Tell us about music and all that kind of jazz. All right. First of all, I just want to say... Going after Sean is daunting as trying to play a set after Sean. So it's like, oh, yeah, I can fuck, imagine <laughs> doing yeah. this shit again. They played your album launch, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they played our record release, and I think I played solo for theirs. I played, uh, I played by myself because uh, I do a solo project as well. And when they when Blue Mint Night came out, or, or I don't know if it was that one or the one before it, the second floor, like I, I played with them too. That was a lot easier because, like, you know, it's just me by myself. And it's just like, well, if I fuck up, it's just me on my, se- on my, own, my own, you know. So, like, no one else would be mad. It's cool. But anyway. You want to hear about my folks, man? About my parents? I could Please, please let me. Yeah, lay it on me. All right. Well, um, it's funny because I am the child of Filipino immigrants. Did you know that? I, I only, only from the quick conversation we had before we hit record. So yeah, it's ah. very, it's very much news to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My parents came here in like the early '60s, and uh, my mom. They came here separate. They didn't meet until they were both in America. And my mom was going to nursing school at Temple University Hospital, uh, Temple University. And um, my dad came here in the same year in '63 because he was a ballet dancer. So he came to join the Philadelphia Ballet, and he was dancing in, like, a bunch of shows and stuff. And uh, the story goes that my mom saw my dad dancing, and then she fell in love and so on and so forth, and then they got married. It was but, a um, fun sinker. Growing, yeah. it's, it's actually pretty funny because my dad still dances. And what ended up happening was my dad uh, was in, like, a bunch of productions, and he was dancing a lot, and... Um, he had a degree from in speech and drama from uh, the University of the Philippines, which is how he ended up coming over to America. But um, while he was dancing over here in the 60s, he tore his ACL, which at the time was like a career-ending injury for yeah, a ballet right. dancer. So like it kind of crushed his entire dream. So he ended up getting a master's in uh, speech pathology, and he worked at a school for, uh, school for the blind and uh, like the mentally delayed kind of thing, you know? And he did that for like 40 years. But um, growing up, my dad always like, um, just to- he told us a lot about like um, musicals and ballet and stuff. So we grew up with this weird culture of like performance art kind of, I don't really know yeah. how to say it, but like I was raised on like um, Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals and uh, yeah. stuff like uh Singing in the Rain and, uh, you know, Brigadoon, like a lot of the Gene Kelly stuff because that was like my dad's favorite dude. I think he still is. I don't know. I haven't really talked about musicals with my dad in a long time because my dad like – so after he broke his knee and tore his ACL, he, uh, he stopped being like a creative person. Okay. So then when he had kids, he like did his best to make sure that we didn't pursue creative lives, you know what I mean, or lives. 
Right, he kind uh, of sees you away from it. Like, yeah, he he kind of sees that as his like biggest mistake in life that he he pursued this life of a dance person, and uh, he thinks that if he like did something different and like worked harder at becoming like something more of a clinical like person, like a doctor or some shit, like he'd be rich and famous or whatever. But uh, instead, he followed a passion that led him to somewhere that he didn't want to be. So for like most of our lives, he he discouraged. Like he's never seen me play anything. You know what I mean? Like he's never been to oh, a show really? that I played, and he's never. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, like I understand it. You know what I mean? But like, also, it's like it's kind of not his life at this point. Like I'm 42. You know, like I've been doing yeah. this for more than half my life at this point. So yep. it's not like I need that to to validate what it is that I do. I just do what I do. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, the thing is, though, my dad definitely loved a lot of that stuff. So um, I got to say my first exposure to music was always his. Uh, he had an extensive or has an extensive record collection of uh, all those like old movie scores and stuff and like musicals and stuff. So like we grew up listening to the Fantastics and like, you know, like I said, Singing in the Rain was like a big one. But um, for a lot of my dad's uh, dancing career, he was in West Side Story. Because he danced between here and like ah, fantastic. Yeah, he played Chino, which if you're familiar with the yes, story, very Chino's much the guy so. that shoots Tony at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and it's funny too because my dad talks about it. He's like, you know, all of the Mexicans in West Side Story, they're all Filipinos. And I was like, wow, no shit, Dad, well, that's crazy. What in the actual so, in the uh, actual movie? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. He did oh. a stage production of the of West oh, Side Story. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But. Played Gino. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. So um, I'd say that my favorite memory of music from my dad was um, West Side Story. Of course, it's the song Somewhere, um, written by Leonard Bernstein. And, um, you know, we've seen many iterations of it, but, uh, like, the one that's in the, in the movie soundtrack is actually my favorite memory of uh, learning how music can honestly convey a sentiment without pretense you know what i mean like this like strange longing for uh, for an ideal and uh that's one of like the greatest gifts that my dad ever gave me was uh just kind of making me listen to all that <laughs> that musical stuff it definitely didn't make for a normal childhood i will say that like i can imagine you know, when you're yeah. like in grade school and stuff and all these kids are listening to michael jackson and shit and you're like Oh man, don't you listen to Gene Kelly singing the Brigadoon soundtrack and stuff? No, that's not a thing for you guys. Oh, cool. Well, I guess I'll just be a normal adult then eventually. That'll be fine too, I guess. But no, turns out no. Doesn't doesn't lead there. Yeah. So, okay, so what about West Side Story? Was it that kind of like because of being completely honest, West Side Story is one of my favorite musicals as well. Um mm. but I couldn't really like I can't really put my finger on it other other than the fact it's it's Americana, but it's dirty. Like, you know, it's rough and tumble kind of thing and it's Americana and it's, you know, a tale of unrequited love or, or like, you know, un, uh, I don't know what the word is for it, but, you know, two lovers that aren't meant to cross paths. Like, what is it for you about that? Oh, man. I mean, like, here's the thing, right? Like, you're raised with something and it's kind of forced down your throat and you're like, man, this shit is corny. And then you get older and you realize that, like, wait a minute, thematically, like, yeah, it's Romeo and Juliet. And, yeah, it's yeah. updated to the 60s. But yep. also you recognize, like, the the romance of it all. And, um, you know, people of a certain constitution, I'd say, like, hardcore kids in general, 
Like you grow up understanding that the violence and the, and the love coexist and yeah. they coexist in a way that they feed each other. Right. And, um, that weird, beautiful struggle has always been a part of music for me. So going back to West Side Story, like as I matured and as I like got smarter, I'd like to think I got smarter. Um, I recognized it for what it was, which is like a rock and roll love story. You know what I mean? Like that shit is fucking tough as fuck. Like it's it's gang war in New York City. That's crazy. And to to frame something like an unrequited love or star-crossed in general with that as your as as your frame, that's awesome. And it struck me as something that like as we went through high school and as I had to do all the Shakespeare shit in my English classes and everything, and I recognized like what it is that my dad actually gave me through an education of that, I realized like how tapped in to the experience of just a young struggle that that whole play is, you know? And um, it's always resonated with me. It's always been one of my favorite works of fiction. And uh, honestly, the movie is so good. Like, I don't know if you know. I'm like a huge movie buff too. Did you know I that? Do. I guess you did. I do. That. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. before we go on, quick plug, and I'm sure we'll plug it again. But you do a podcast called Cinepunks, <laughs> which we can definitely get deep into. But yeah, yeah, it's super fun. I, I I go drone on and on and on about movies that nobody gives a shit about, and it's really really <laughs> fun. <laughs> That's awesome. We've only done it for 107 episodes. It's really really great. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of episodes. Eh, so, it's only been six years, so, you know, eh, we could have yeah, done better, but we're still working yeah. on it, you know. No, that's fair enough. Okay, so one quick question before we listen to the song. Did you, when you, think of the, when you think of the movie, do, um, do mm-hmm. you identify more as, or do you kind of feel more of a kindred to sharks or jets? Um, I mean, you know, my dad was a shark. Like, what yeah, am I supposed okay. to do? That's just That's what right. it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, the yeah. story, like, honestly, the story is a beautiful image of the struggle of the hyphenated American, if you look at it from Bernardo's perspective. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this longing, this this people without a sovereign land that are a sovereign people or that are redacted yeah. somehow from, like, their connected roots. And it's, it's such a crazy mindfuck to think about it as you're growing up you know, in this other perspective. Because, like, of course, you're supposed to root for the white people, right? Like, that's how that was originally yeah, that sold was, to me. That was the pitch, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, as I got older and as I, you know, like, and I honestly think that, like, it's weird because, like, I came into hardcore early, right? And that weird social consciousness, like, crept in on me way earlier than it did to other people, like, in my peer set. And um, as I got older with West Side Story, I recognized like the dichotomy there and that the perspective, the shift of the perspective can make that entire story completely different. And yeah. um, it only made me love it more, you know. So, yeah, man. Sharks forever. A place for us Thine to stay. 
So, are you an only child? Like, um, and were you born in Philly, or did you? How did you end up there? Or is that further down the track? I, I am. Uh, I, I have one younger brother who's named Anthony, and we are from South Jersey. We're from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is a twenty-minute ride away from Philadelphia. Okay. And um, as much as I love Philadelphia, I am first the son of the Garden State, right? Like I, I went right. to school in New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. And then um, for college, I went to North Jersey, which is like I went to Elizabeth, which is Elizabeth, New Jersey, is where E-Town Concrete are from. Might have heard of that band. Yep, and, um, I have heard of that band. They, yeah. uh, <laughs> actually, Aunt Money was in one of my classes in college. It was really funny because like I definitely remember going to class and seeing that dude there and being like, oh. We're both wearing Echo windbreakers and Timberland yep. boots looking like a bunch of gangsters. And it was just really funny. Got the head nod and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I went to school in Elizabeth, so I ended up going to shows in New York City from, like, college yep. on. And then I moved back to Philadelphia when I was, like, 21, 22, somewhere around there. Okay. And I've lived here yeah, for yep. another 20 years. And so Philadelphia is my home, but New Jersey spawned me. <laughs> so my brother is, like the polar opposite of myself, but he's my best friend. So, um, like, whereas I grew up not being good at sports, he was always really good at sports. He's four years younger than me. And, um, okay. but we grew up together. Like, even though he was like the sports dude and the skateboard guy, and I was the guy that played guitar, we both went to like hip hop and hardcore shows together all the time. And like, that was always, he was like my role dog, you know? And, um, yeah, cool. actually there's a really funny story. His nickname is Pucho. And, um, okay. during, there was this one tour when he was like 19 years old and I was, I was already um, back in Philly. So I was already like 22, 23. Uh, and um, the nerve agents were on tour with American nightmare and with damage. And we were in Philadelphia and we we're hanging out and like all those dudes were there. And my brother showed up at our friend's house where we were all hanging out and he was hammered. He was like super drunk. And we were like, Oh yo, Anthony's here. Yeah. This is Anthony, my brother. And my brother went, yeah, I'm Pucho. And we're like, what the fuck is Pucho? And he said, oh, I mean, I'm pleased to meet you. And then for ever since then, for the past 20 years, everybody just calls him Pucho. And that's his name. That's, so, that's, yeah, that's, name that's fantastic. Anthony. That's a great origin story of a nickname. <laughs> so ridiculous. That's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so y your, your parents are from Philippines. How do they get, like, yeah. what, makes them, what makes them finish up? You said your dad got a scholarship in New York? Or did I'm no, sorry, he, not in Philadelphia. He came to Philadelphia to well, he ended up dancing with the Philadelphia Ballet. Right. And he was he the, was going was, between it, Philadelphia and New York. Was the goal to always go like all the way across the East Coast? Like it just seems like it's from from uh, the Philippines to the West Coast seems like a, a big enough journey as it is, let alone ha then having to kind of fly across the country fly another six or so hours across the country. Like was that the goal from the from the you know from day dot or you know did he want it? Like, uh, did yeah, he just my dad wanted to. There? My dad wanted to be a part of the Metropolitan Ballet of New York. That was okay. ultimately the goal. And then like he ended up in Philadelphia first and was planning to go to New York, but then he had the the injury, and then that stopped his career, and he just stayed in Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. For better or for worse, <laughs> we are an East Coast family, you know. Yeah, That's just yeah, who yeah. We are. it was always meant to be. Yeah, and and how did your mum end up there? Same story. Like, was she, did she come across as a young girl or as an adult? She came across to go to college at uh, Temple University because at the time, what they were doing was they were 
um, there was a, a nursing shortage in America. And so there was a lot of incentives for people from all over the world to come to like nursing schools here and, uh, and get their nursing degrees and start working in this uh, healthcare industry. So my mom, yep. like she was really smart, but she's from a poor province in the Philippines. And then this opportunity came up and she took it. And uh, she ended up here and then just never left. You know, she went to school at Temple and then she worked at Temple for uh, something like 40 years. And uh, yeah. it's funny because that's where me and my brother work now. So me and my brother both work at Temple Hospital. And, um, you, you know, go. it's kind of a family thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's unreal. All righty. So you've got a younger brother. Like you're, you're living in New Jersey. What's kind of what's happening musically? Like what do your friends kind of listen to and – like, yeah, what do you, what's kind of on your radar and how are you getting it, I guess? Well, when when I lived in New Jersey, when I lived in Cherry Hill, like, as a youngster, I lived there until I was uh, 17, right? Like, when I, was in, when I turned 17, I went to college, and that was in North Jersey, so that was, like, a whole different epoch. But up until that point, like, again, we were raised on these weird, like, musical records, like, actual, like, vinyl, you know? Like, my dad has yeah. a huge vinyl collection, and so it's all like we, we were raised listening to like the, the pops and the skips on these like ancient vinyl recordings of um, yeah. all this like, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein, like I said, and Leonard Bernstein and stuff like this. And uh, at the time, so you got to figure this is like late 80s, early 90s. Right. So yeah. um, as I was moving through like middle school into high school, um, I started I, I, I started with the musical stuff and then that led to um, me joining things like choir and high school and all that stuff. And yep. I don't know how it is where you are, but that's where like the not as cool dudes hang out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a lot I of dorky yeah. people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which, you know, I mean, what am I going to do? Argue with it? Uh, it's just what it is, you know? So like yeah. I ended up listening to a lot of like what was alternative at the time, because a lot of the people that just gravitated toward this type of like, like classes and stuff, they listened to like a lot of different shit. So yeah. as I was going through high school, a lot of things like Pearl Jam and all that shit started happening. Was happening, and like, yeah. um, you know, like kind of like the mainstream, like cock rock, you know what I mean? Like this like weird yep. stadium style, like, but they're still playing like shitty, like love songs on like loud guitars and everything. So, um, at that time I was really swept into, um, a lot of synth pop and a lot of like okay. British music in general. So um, I went from listening to musicals to listening to, like I was a huge Morrissey fan in high school. And I mean, like that's a thing too. Cherry Hill, New Jersey is like a predominantly white like area. And as a Filipino yeah. kid, it was like always hard to kind of make friends and to feel like accepted and feel like I fit in anywhere. And then just to make matters worse, I was like, well, on top of it, I'm going to listen to the Smiths <laughs> because I'm not lonely enough. Let's make this even weirder, you know. While, so, while you guys um, are singing about, while you guys are listening to "Nothing But a Good Time" by Poison or something, I'm gonna. Oh yeah, that's double that's down what on what everybody else is way into. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, Motley Crue's cool, and I know that they get girls, but why don't we listen to the Trash Can Sinatras? Because yeah, that sounds about normal for a kid my age. And yep. um, <laughs> it was. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. It definitely fucked me up because it was like while everyone was listening to Poison. I was listening to Depeche Mode, you know what I mean? And it's like, yep. uh, I found all of this because I don't know if you know, and I don't know if it's actually a global thing, but I know that in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, a lot of the older Filipino kids that I knew, because here's the thing, 
my dad was really involved and my mom was really involved in like the Filipino community of Southern New Jersey. So like they were, there were always like things like these cultural events, you know what I mean? And things that like, just like, like the Filipino people did. And, um, we'd have to go to all these parties and like, it would be like other Filipino kids that weren't in my school, but like their parents knew my parents. Cause like there was like a large immigration to, America at the same time so they all came at the same time and they all ended up becoming a part of like their own crew and like yep. then they all had kids at the same time which were us even though we were kind of geographically disparate but we were all kind of like New Jersey Philadelphia New York area like tri-state area you know and yeah. so uh, I'd meet all these older Filipino kids I didn't see on the reg and they were the ones that were like yo check this out this is a band called New Order and they're from England and I remember listening to New Order and Erasure and um, the Pet Shop Boys and the Smiths and Morrissey were like the biggest thing for me. Because like once I heard, I remember in seventh grade, I got a tape, like a Maxell 90 minute tape. And on one side yeah, yeah. was Fugazi Repeater. And on the other side was Kill Uncle by Morrissey. And that tape pretty much defined my entire musical identity from then on. That like up until that off. point, I really liked I loved, like, the NBA. Like, I loved, like, the Sixers and the San Antonio Spurs and the Los Angeles Lakers. And then I got that tape, and then I stopped watching any sports of any any kind at all forever. And that was yeah. it. That was, like, the end of any involvement in any competitive thing that I, like, cared about. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as that was done, I was like, what is Fugazi? What is Morrissey? And it just spiraled and then it like led to like, you know, each side of that tape led to different discoveries, right? Like after that, I started listening to like REM and the cure and all that other stuff. But then through the Fugazi side, I started listening to bands like embrace and, uh, right to spring and like all that DC stuff. And, yeah. um, it was hard to find at the time. It was definitely like, this is pre-internet. Like we're talking about like 90, 91 to 95, like around that time. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the only way that I could get my hands on any of this stuff was, um, like, typically, like, the weirder punk kids at my high school would have them on tape, and they'd dub them for me, or I'd find them at, like, weird local record stores that just, like, were very, like, specific and, like, very, like, just kind of, like, out-of-the-way stuff, you know what I mean? Like, New Jersey's actually really good for that, these weird, like, side store kind of, like, oh, man, we have all this distro records from, like, you know discord and revelation and all that shit and so like again a lot of like the people that like i grew up with they listened to like a lot of like the heavy metal stuff that was real poppy at the time but they also listened to a lot of like um some of it i could get into but a lot of like um freestyle music do you know what that is no i go on freestyle like um suzy q and stevie b it was like dance music that happened on like the radio and so I listened oh, to a right, lot of okay. that growing up, too, just because, like, you know, a lot of the Filipino kids that I knew through my parents were, like, really cool. You know what I mean? Like, they wore, like, hairspray yeah. and shit. And I was like, wow, these cool people listen to all this, like, wild dance music and had, like, silky pants and stuff. And I was like, huh, I guess I can understand some of it. It's like New Order if, like, New Order danced more. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but, um, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what, like, that was, like, the thing. So, like, I remember, like... um before I got that Fugazi Morrissey tape, I the like the first couple tapes that I had were like, um, I had uh oh Living Color, the first Living Color record that had Cult of Personality yep. on it. I think it was like their self titled yep. one, and I had um Bigger and Deffer by LL Cool J, 
Like those are like the first two tapes that I ever like broke because I listened to so yeah. much. But um, yeah, no, it was it was a wild time. I gotta say, it was definitely a an interesting cross section because like right at that time also, Jesus Jones became like a thing in America. So like they released Doubt that record, Doubt, and they won like some award on MTV for like best newcomer record. And then like Jesus um, Jones, what Jesus I Jones started, had? What was their big single? Um, is it right here? It was right called now? Right Here, Right Now. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one. And it was like, oh man, they dress like skaters, but they have like a keyboard. Like, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm here for it. And uh, yeah. I was all about it. Let me be supportive. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, I, I mean, it was just something unlike anything that I'd ever heard or experienced before at that time. So it was like Jesus Jones and EMF and all that stuff. And like, that was like reaching somewhat like top 40 popularity in America, but like it still was on the fringes, but I loved it. And I thought that shit was awesome. And, Did you uh, say EMF? My gr- oh yeah, yeah. Do you remember that band? That unbelievable well, yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like that's all I've got them for. Like that's all I. Did they do more than that, or was that like they they had a record what? called Schubert Dip that uh, I managed to get my hands on somehow, and I listened okay. the hell out of that thing too. And it was weird. It was like I didn't know DJs could play rock and roll, but I guess here we are doing all the things with skateboarding people clothes on. So whatever. Yeah, it's an amazing um. It is an amazing mashup because it makes you want to dance, but there are kind of big guitars, and there's that big guitar solo in it. Yeah, like yeah, and yeah. like that. There was a scene around that, so there were bands like Carter the Unstoppable, Sex Machine, and um, just like that weird British uh, Grebo scene they called it. And I didn't know anything about it. I the way I would find out about that stuff was like um, I'd find um, NME at like local like bookstores and they had like that and like just weird magazines that like had a bunch of white people that I never heard of and didn't see on MTV and shit. And I was like, well, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to try and find a black grape record because that seems like a good idea. And, um, again, like that stuff really informed like my musical taste at the time. But again, it didn't make me get any more friends than I had, you know what I mean? It's like, well, this isn't going to make popularity a thing. So might as well just give yourself to the music at this point. What did the kind of punk slash alternative guys who you were getting music off at that younger age? What like what was their vibe with you? Like, were they okay with you or like yeah? What- it was weird, man, because it was like uh, it, at that time there weren't any like punk people, especially in Cherry Hill, yeah, right. New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I didn't I didn't have an older brother. I didn't have anyone to, to like look up to or whatever. And like we had yeah. 120 minutes on MTV, yep. but you'd have to stay awake till fucking midnight on like a Saturday yeah. to hear that shit. Yeah. And it was <laughs> like, man, right. you got church tomorrow, dog. You got to go to sleep. Yep. But, um, <laughs> it was, uh, that's pretty much the main way how I found like a lot of the stuff for me at that time. And it was like, a lot of it was like English, but a lot of it was like bands like sunny day real estate. You know what I mean? Like that was around the time that diary came out and then bands yep. like, um, the violent femmes. That was when, um, the second or the third record, Why Do Birds Sing, came out. And like these were like seminal records for me. Like I just remember like listening to those walking home from school and like just, oh my goodness, it was like perfect. You know what I mean? It was like the kind of thing where you knew at the moment you're tapping into something that was going to carry you a lot further than what other people had. That's awesome. And, uh, it was special. <laughs> it was, it was, it was so much harder to find. And I mean, I know. It's such like an old thing for like 40 year old dudes to be like, well, back in my yes. day, you had to quest yes. for that seven inch. And it's like, shut the fuck up, old guy. Like, I get it. But yep. also like, dude, think about um, 
They Might Be Giants flood. Like that record came out, what, 25 years ago this year? But man, like I just remember listening to it and listening to those two dudes sing and thinking to myself, like, this is awesome and creative and fun. Like rock can be fun. And um, and that's yeah, that was like my favorite shit, man. It's a weird time. <laughs> so has there, is there a song that kind of sums that up? I would say uh, Gray Cell Green by Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Because like Ned's Atomic Dustbin at that time put out Godfather. And that was my shit. I was like, why are there two bass players here? And then listening to it, I was like, this is fucking insane. And then the video for Gray Cell Green is just them dancing around with like tie-dye on in like a tie-dyed room. <laughs> and uh, they had long hair. And just, oh, man. I just remember seeing that video and thinking like, this is the greatest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. And um, it's funny because I still listen to those records every day. Like both of those Ned's Atomic Dustbin records, like that one and Are You Normal, I listen to regularly. Like they're still two of my favorite records of all time, you know?
like was your dad how was your dad obviously you know he he you mentioned he dropped his kind of creative interest but did he kind of I, I shouldn't just say your dad your parents actually were they very kind of cautious about you listening to this weird wild or not not so wild but heavily introverted kind of music or were they just like look he'll find his own path or what's the story what how do they view your musical intake they hated it like bar none <laughs> like once yeah, right. i started listening to like stuff like like the cure and rem and all that stuff my parents were just like i don't really know what's happening here and uh it was it's hard to deal with a generation gap for sure but then yeah. to deal yeah. with a culture gap on top of that it's almost impossible to deal with it without causing or being subjected to trauma you know what i mean like it's gonna be fucking weird and um it, it's a, it was pardon it my was, ignorance sorry before you go on pardon my ignorance when you say culture yeah. gap is that because like they were raised in a, like in in the philippines then when they came across they didn't really kind of they they really held on to their identity and then you as a now a american filipino like you're getting both so you're getting kind of the the filipino culture from them and the american culture from everywhere else was that kind of hard for yeah. them to reconcile with yeah okay it was well i mean okay so here's the thing right like my parents moved here from the philippines in the 60s and then they met here and then they created their life here with the people yep. that they moved from the philippines here with so like there's like a whole group of like filipino people that like i grew up with and they created their own cultural alcove. And um, what was normal there wasn't normal for my white friends. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we never wore, like, the concept of wearing sneakers inside the house up until, like, maybe 12th grade for me was like, yeah. are you trying to die? Are you trying to get your ass <laughs> destroyed by your parents? Like, that's fucking crazy. And um, so Dave, who plays guitar in Cross Keys with me, he's been my best friend since seventh grade. Yep. And um, ever since we were kids, his house was the only house that my parents would allow me to sleep over at on like weekends and stuff uh, that wasn't like a Filipino person. So like a lot of like the cultural awareness that I got about being like a hyphenated American was experiencing, um, you know, white culture through Dave and his family who are always very uh, accepting of me and very welcoming, right? Like, they have like a huge so that's, role that, in like that's the person why they got that the pass. That's that's why his um, family gets a kind of the, the acceptance or like what was it about what was it about him and that his family did that kind of without getting you know you can get as personal as you want but like what is it about him and his family that your parents went yep okay he's fine like that's I all think good that Dave is just Dave has always just been a genuinely nice and kind individual. And uh, right. my parents met him because, like, you know, we were classmates. And so, like, we'd hang out and stuff. And they were like, oh, this David seems cool. And then, like, eventually they're, like, you know, we got older and we started playing music together. Like, we learned how to play guitar together and all that stuff. And it was just like, well, Dad, can I just hang out with Dave and we're just going to crash out and, like, go to a show tonight. And then I'll just sleep at his house. And, like, eventually, like, my parents were like, yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. And, like, you know, it was cool. And, like, like their family and my family are really, really tight. You know what I mean? Like... They know yeah. my brother and like they've been to my parents' house and all that stuff and vice versa. So like, there it's funny too. My parents call white people Americans still. 
They're just like, ah, Joey's American friend, David. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. they, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's still funny to me. I, I know it's incorrect, but it's funny. So, you know, whatever. No, but it's but, um, like look, the reality is and not casting dispersions on uh, d- like Dave's family or other other of your friends' families. Like I'm sure they probably look at you and go, oh, yeah, Josh is Filipino. Josh's parents are Filipino. Like it's just a, oh, yeah. it's just a simplicity thing that kind of it makes everything – it finds a compartment in their brain and in everyone's brain kind of thing. And I get it. It never made me feel like any kind of way, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the thing. Being raised as like a person between cultures, you recognize like that your place isn't on either side of the line. It's on the line. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I've always like it's in, in hardcore in America, too, and East Coast hardcore. Like it was always like that. It was always like either white dudes and then like you had like three or four Asian dudes. And, like, there are always, like, a couple black dudes and a couple, like, Puerto Rican guys and, like, you know, and ladies, too. And, like, yep. anybody that was, like, for me, right? Like, so, basically, I grew up in hardcore. Like, when I turned 17, 18 and started, like, going to shows on my own in North Jersey and New York, every single person that was, like, not a white person was, like, my friend at these hardcore shows. And it was just I- understood that if anything were to go down, that was just who your set was and, like you better do your thing. You know what I mean? You better stand up because that's just what it is. And also at the time there was like a lot of like bonehead stuff going on in both like Philadelphia and New York. So it was just like, yeah, you had to have each other's back regardless of whether or not you knew them. And, um, yeah, I've always been okay with that. That's never been a problem, you know, like, and I don't know, it's just, it's funny to have like a different cultural identity than what like the rest of the scene was at the time. You, sorry, you. So you still you went to high school in um, went to high school in Jersey in New Jersey. Yep, South Jersey. Yeah. Were, like, where were you getting? And that was when I was like learning how to play guitar. So, what made you pick up guitar? Like, because again, th- did your dad kind of shun you away from? Like you, you mentioned earlier, your, your dad kind of shunned you away from doing cre- like those kind of artistic the avenues. Did did he do it before you picked up guitar or did you pick up guitar and it was kind of like, oh, don't waste your time on that kind of thing. Like what was his, where did he kind of, how early did he make that kind of known? Um, it was from day one. It was pretty okay. obvious that he did not appreciate it, but I also am terrible at like sports. <laughs> so yeah. it was kind of like, well, you got to do something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, ah, I read a lot. It's like, no, no, no. You got to do something that's not like reading. And so I was like, well, I'll learn how to play guitar. And so my parents had like a broken acoustic guitar in our garage. And I picked that up and I, you know, we, there was like, at first it was like that. And then it was like piano lessons. So like my dad recognized like that there was a very strong musical proclivity in my life. Like that was just a very strong urge for me. So he indulged it to his best intent, but he never wanted me to like, try and play in front of people you know what i mean like i could play like piano recitals like there was this one filipino piano teacher in our neighborhood named mrs santa inez and so every filipino kid that i knew was like oh mrs santa inez comes to your house on wednesday and then she comes to our house on thursday and like everybody (laughs) like went to her so all of us and it was terrible because like you know my dad was like I don't know what you know about the Filipino culture. A lot of the times it's a very strict scenario. And so it was the kind of thing where my dad would be like, 
I told Mrs. Santa Inez that if you don't practice, she can hit you. Like, shit. (laughs) Mrs. Santa Inez is going to hit me. I got to practice scales. And, like, it's funny, too, because I hated the piano. Like, had I known at the time how much I'd end up loving piano-based music, I would have tried harder. But I was just like, I want to learn how to play guitar because, like, those are the guys that get the girls. And um, I was about to say, as a, as, a, as a younger as a younger kid, you just it's it's not a it's not an it's like it's an interesting instrument, but it's not like it's it doesn't ins- like for most kids it doesn't inspire. Considering kids are you know trying to go through a rebellious stage or whatever, it doesn't inspire that much rebellion from a younger age. Like, of course, that's what a guitar does. Like, yeah, guitar is way more rebel rock than the piano but then yeah you listen to forever my lady by jodeci and you're like yo i could have just been talking to girls if i learned piano instead of guitar i fucked up well that's yeah, the yeah. other part true yeah. story. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like if i learned how to play lately by jodeci on a piano before i learned how to play bridge yep. over troubled water on a fucking acoustic guitar i probably yep. would have had a girlfriend way sooner than i did yeah. just saying yep they would have been throwing <laughs> themselves at you didn't work out the way I had it planned, but you know what no, does. That's fair enough. So, <laughs> what what guitar? Like, were you kind of when you were getting guitar lessons? Was it a teacher that was kind of making you do the scales and the the quote unquote boring stuff, or was it like a teacher who just when I, when I first started playing bass, my teacher's like, I can teach you scales, or I can teach you songs. You pick the songs. I was like, yeah, let's do that. So each week I turn up with a tape that's and be awesome. like, hey, here's the song I wanted. Yeah, like was that kind of how you got? thrown into it like is that how you learned or did you learn by yourself or what how did you kind of like slowly well, I start mastering theory. the guitar here's the thing like i always had like choir lessons through like school right so i already was acquainted with the beast of like theory like music theory yeah and so when yep. i learned guitar i wanted to learn like the basics and then i had a good enough year at the time that i figured out how to play stuff with that as a tool but um yep. When I started playing, my favorite shit was like Simon and Garfunkel, like that stuff, like the fingerstyle guitar of like the 60s. And so um, the teacher that I had at the time, he taught me like exercises to learn that stuff. But then he taught me the basics that I could use to pick apart those things. And that's pretty much how I learned. Like I learned through ear, but also through theory. Now, if you were to ask me now about any theory, I would tell you, I don't know shit about it. I totally forgot all of it. But um, <laughs> yeah. I still know how to play guitar. To uh, I mean, debatably, yeah. debatably. But um, yeah. I still, I, I still love all those songs. I still like remember playing all that stuff, you know. And that was like, yeah, that was my favorite shit for a little bit. And then um, as I got older, I, you know, you get a job and like you're working and you're going to high school and everything, and then you go to college. And um, I end up like saving up enough money to get my first electric guitar when I got to college. And then that was like the end of like all of the other shit. You know what I mean? Like, cause then I didn't start a band until I moved to Philadelphia, but I always loved playing fast music with no one there. <laughs> so that's kind of my thing, you know? And like, um, yeah. So how did you, how did, I guess, you know, you're mentioning fast music and playing guitar. How does punk kind of, how does punk and hardcore kind of come into the picture? So uh, I went to school in Elizabeth. I went to Kane University in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And um, like I said, I got there and I was already like into Fugazi and like I was learning about DC hardcore and I was still very heavily into like the British music that I was I was exposed to and I loved that stuff too. But then I, I'll never forget like, so my freshman year in college, 
there was like one kid on my on in my dorm and I hated I hated school. I you know, I hated living there and it's just like, man, I'm so far from home and it's just I didn't I didn't want to be there, but I also didn't want to be home. So it was very much like a very big time of like just personal unrest for me. And um yeah. I remember I got a copy of You're Not Alone by Black Train Jack. And um it quickly became like my favorite record because it was like more aggressive than like the British music, but it still had the same melodic sensibility. And then it wasn't yeah. as angular as Fugazi and it was a lot more soulful, but not that Fugazi, Fugazi didn't have soul, but it was a lot more like uh, traditional, you know what I mean? It wasn't like yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, You didn't need to have kind of like a mass degree to understand it. Like where it's Fugazi, it kind of, it's a, it's a smarter person's music for lack of a really good term. Uh, again, debatable, but yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. Oh, okay. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like it's not, you know, it's not just it's not just four chords and the truth kind of thing. It's a, there's a bit more into it. There's a bit more into it than four chords and the truth, or three chords and the truth. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. But so so that freshman year for me in college was like '95, right? And um, right after I got to school, I made a friend on my floor that listened to Black Train Jack, and they were the person that gave me that tape. And then right around that time, um, there was a photographer in New York City named B.J. Papas. And she got okay. in like a massive motorcycle accident and they did this huge show for her at the wetlands. And my friend was like, yo, I'm going to the wetlands. And I was like, what the fuck is the wetlands? And they're like, it's this gigantic hardcore matinee. You should come. So I went and um, I was not prepared for anything. And yeah. Black Train Jack was headlining, but Sick of It All played, Madball played, Scarhead played like. Every New York hardcore band of the mid '90s that was relevant played, and um, I was there for something like twelve hours. And by the end of it, I knew that I was forever changed. It was like the one show that, like, like I'd been to shows before in Philadelphia before I left for college. Like the first show yeah. I ever saw was at the Trocadero. I just talked about it last night. It was at the Trocadero, and it was for. Um, the Dead Milkman. That was the first show I ever saw. And uh, yeah, it was a bunch right. of local bands. It was Chrissy and uh, Walter Krug were the opening bands. And then The Dead Milkman played. And it was right when um, Bright Green Globe came out. I think that was the name of it. Or I forget. It was the one with... Uh, it was it was the record that has the cartoon drawing of the planet on the front. Okay. And, um, no, I, I'm yeah, not, that was, yeah, go on. That was like the first like experience, like live concert experience that I had. And then yeah. when I got to New York and I realized that like, I didn't have to go with like anybody. I could just go with like one or two friends. And then we went to that show. And then right after that, like the only things I cared about as soon as I got to college was like studying and like working hard in class and then just going to hardcore shows in New York city. What were you studying? Like, uh, yeah, I went to school you? for biology and for secondary education. So I was a high school teacher for a little bit. There's a, actually a pretty funny story about I, I beat up one of my students one time. <laughs> I'm not sure if you ever heard that story. It's kind of a, a weird legend, but um, I was <laughs> teaching. Like, here's the thing. Like, I went to school and I had this degree and uh, I was like, man, I fucking hate teaching because I hate children. Like, that's a thing that I didn't know as I was going through the motions yeah. of acquiring a degree in secondary <laughs> education that like. Oh yeah. yeah, kids are like drunk midgets destroyed by hormones. Like I hate these people. Yep. And um yep. the concept that I was gonna have to do this for 30 years or whatever until I could retire was like heavily weighing on me. You know what I mean? I was like, 
fuck, yeah. what the fuck did I do? Like, this is terrible. And um, I remember at the time, Dillinger Escape Plan had just put out um, the record on relapse, calculating infinity. And um, yep. they were playing, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember these guys. Like, I'll go watch this shit. And I went to the show. I used to go to shows all the time during that time by myself. And um, I wore glasses, and I was moshing to Dillinger Escape Plan, and it was really fun. And someone punched me in the face, and uh, I let it go. And then the same person punched me again. I couldn't really see, but I knew it was the same person because, I mean, they had the same kind of shape. And I figured it was the same person anyway. And this person but kept on so punching me in the face. It was a targeted and, uh, attack. It wasn't accidental. No, no, no. It was like an on-purpose punch in the face. And uh, I yeah. snapped. And I just remember jumping on this kid. And, like, I started, like, teeing off. And I was crying because I was, like, so miserable at the time. And it was just like, fuck, I hate everything. And uh, Dillinger Escape Plan are playing. And I beat the shit out of this kid in the middle of the floor. And I got kicked out of the club. And uh, I just remember the next day... I went to school and I had this gigantic black eye, like this huge black eye. And then, uh, I was a teacher, you know what I mean? This is like, what the fuck are you coming yeah. to school with a black eye for? You know what I mean? You're supposed to be an adult. <laughs> and um, a kid comes into my class and he totally like was messed up in his face. And I was like, oh, no. And then so I had to be like, hey, man, what happened to you? And the kid was like, ah, I fell. What happened to you? And I was like, ah, I fell. Wow. And then that was it. And then we never talked about it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not my finest moment, but uh, also, I guess if I saw my biology teacher throwing down in a mosh pit, I'd try and kick his ass too if I was a high schooler. But you know, didn't happen that That's way. That's wild, unfortunately. Yeah. So you never, and you never like, you never like unofficially, not unofficially, but like, you never kind of went, "Hey, are we cool?" You know, you never let it. You I never, didn't want to bring it up anymore. It yeah, no, yeah. that was it. <laughs> makes sense. <Yeah. laughs> Yep, work for me, man. <laughs> I'm not trying to have yeah. difficult conversations even back then. Not my thing. Yeah, no, that's fucking wild. <laughs> that's a hell of a story. Oh yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all right. You, so you start you start frequenting New York and going to shows there. How? What's the what's the travel yep. time and how are you getting there? Um, there was a train that went right from like my college campus to New York City, and so you know, so during this time also, I worked at a record store in Ford's New Jersey called Vintage Vinyl Records. And so like, and also like, so, okay, at this time, right, um, I was living in Elizabeth, I was going to shows in New York, and then I discovered New Brunswick hardcore. So also at this time, bands like Floor Punch and Ensign and Vision and all these like youth crew bands were like the thing, as well as bands like yep. Tear It Up and Dead Nation. And um, at this time, I ended up going to a lot of basement shows in New Brunswick, and I was working at Vintage Vinyl, and I was going to shows in New York City. So, like, when I tell you, like, the only things I cared about was school and hardcore, like, that was it at this time. <laughs> you, were, and, yeah, um, that was, you were living and breathing it. Yeah, that was that was the only thing, because, like, I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have money. So I was just like, well, you know, I got this thing, and I yep. work at this record store, so I know how to steal records. So let's let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah, it was it was fun, though, because, like, at that point, not only was I in school for an education but I also was getting my education on things like abolition records. So this is when I discovered bands like Torches to Rome and bands like Submission Hold and Bread and Circuits and um, bands like Yafet Kodo and these. So it's funny because like growing up in, in that manner, I had this like double, like 
idea about what hardcore was, right? Like there was the New York City hardcore and the New Jersey hardcore that was like tough as fuck, very ultra male, very ultra like masculine and uh, very violent. And then I also had this concept of this California style hardcore that wasn't Ignite or like Orange County. And it was like more abrasive without being more macho. You know what I mean? Like, and I really love bands like, I came to bands like Assuck and um, more of the crusty stuff like Los Crudos and uh, Zagoda and Temeo's Key, like all these uh, and bands like at that point also like my, so the, the hardcore that was real prevalent at that time was a lot of like basketball jerseys and crew cuts and like Nike sneakers and go jumps and and all that stuff. And yeah. 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 And it was cool and all that stuff. But then like, that was also right when bands like Kid Dynamite were starting. And um, yeah. when Kid Dynamite started, I knew uh, Jason from Bound, from his band before that that was on Spiritfall Records. And, like, you know, we yep. see Bound all the time at, like, Manville Elks Lodge and stuff like this in New Jersey. And then I was like, oh, this guy's in a new band with the dude from Lifetime and the drummer from Ink and yeah. Dagger. And I was like, holy shit. And uh, Kid Dynamite quickly became, like, my favorite band at the time. And um, it was like one of those things where like you like so like in addition to listening to Scarhead and Madball and Sick of It All and all that shit, I also was listening to a lot of Kid Dynamite and Gray Area and um, just uh, Kill Your Idols, like these bands, you know what I mean? Like and it was a very clear demarcation at the time. But as I get further away from it, I'm like, oh, no, it was all one scene, you know. But um, I definitely loved Lifetime. Like that was like my favorite and Avail. Holy shit. I saw Avail so many times in the 90s. I saw them more than I saw my parents in the 90s, for sure. And uh, the only other band I saw... Yeah, it's true. The only band that I saw more than Avail was Ensign, and that's because for a short amount of time, I was living with this dude named Chris who played bass in that band. And um, so I saw Ensign, like, every weekend. And uh, So, Chris, what did Nate... So, because I Uh, I thought Nate played bass, but obviously did Nate play guitar for a while. Yeah, he played guitar during uh, Cast the First Stone era, and my friend Chris, right, who I okay. lived with, played bass. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, you cool. know, so you see Ensign every week. You're also seeing Floor Punch every week. You're also seeing, you know, that crew of bands. And um, yep. also at the same time, Strike Anywhere put out their first EP on Red Cat Records, I believe it was. And that was the, the Changes of Sound 12-inch. And that thing fucking destroyed my entire life. Like, I loved that band. I still love that band very, very much. And... um. Yeah, that was like a really important time. I don't want to call them slower because it's not fair to call. Like, you know, it's it's not slow, but it's slower for Strike Anywhere. But I totally hear a lot of the the mid-tempo Strike Anywhere stuff in the, in the cross keys music. Actually, Thomas from Strike Anywhere is like now one of my like good buds, you know. And uh, he helped me write Saviors. Ah, right. There you go. So the last the last song on the EP, uh, I actually was talking to him a lot. And I was like, look, I got this song. And I'm working through it, but I don't know like how to get these words in the way I want them to fit and everything. Because I'm the kind of writer that really pays attention to like the dumb shit that I say. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it was like, really important you know, for me yeah. to get that point across. And yeah. uh, I didn't know how to do it. So I talked to Thomas about it. And he walked me through... And so if it has like a bit of a strike anywhere feel to it, it's because he helped me write the song. We'll get we'll get back to cross keys later at the moment. So we're listening to 
We're like late nineties, listened to all that, yeah, all that kind of youth crew revival stuff. Yeah. But also bands like 108 and bands like, you know, Burn and like all that shit that was around. Yeah, super good, man. But Lifetime will always be like my favorite, you know? That's just what it is. Is it because <laughs> they were uh, like more melodic than every, well, you know, they, they had a lot more melody than everyone else? Or like was it the melody that kind of sold you on them? Or was, yeah, was there something I mean, I always, than that? I always loved melody, right? Like even though I listened to a lot of abrasive music, I always loved like melodic vocal. And um, like Lifetime and Avail, those two bands in particular, they always embodied the perfect synergy between melody and aggression for me. But um, Torches to Rome is probably my favorite of that ilk. Did you ever listen to Torches to Rome? Never, never hit my radar. Whoa, dude! You got there's a 12 inch out on Abolition by Torches to Rome, and it's okay. the only thing that they put out. And uh, life changing. I love it so much. And like then you'll discover the music of of Mike Kirsch who eventually went through a gender reassignment, became Sarah Kirsch, and then she was in a band called Mother Country Motherfuckers and uh, the Batter Brains and, like, all these other, like, bands that were, like, willfully... Like, they were obscure, but they were so important to, like, yeah. that crowd. You know what I mean? Like, just bands that listen... Like, people that listen to bands like Los Crudos and Spitboy and um, uh, Downcast and Struggle, like, all those bands, like, Torches to Rome was that kind of aggression... Like that, just wild, chaotic energy, but mixed with melody, and I think that they're awesome. like the most perfect band. So good! Oh, my goodness. So we got a yeah, song to kind out, of man. throw out there. That yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, what about for you now in this time of your life? What, have we got a song that kind of that defines you know the late nineties for you and where you were? Oh my goodness! Uh, the Tonight is Seven Inch Tonight, or uh, the Tonight is Seven Inch by Lifetime. I would say. Um, Star Six Nine. That song? Fuck yeah. <laughs> So you you're in Philly and you're playing guitar. 
where what did you start just writing songs by yourself or did you just jump headfirst into a band or how did the kind of the band thing evolve like or you playing so, in a band how did that kind of start happen it started with another thing that i was really obsessed with at the time and still continue to be is the music of billy bragg so okay. i had an electric guitar i didn't have a band and i wrote a lot of songs and um, that was, like, my initial creative, like, burst. So when I moved to Philadelphia, I quit teaching. I was like, fuck this job. I'm going to move in with my brother, and I'm just going to figure it out. And uh, what ended up happening was I moved here, and I got a job at Tower Records, which is where I met Melani, um, who is now my wife. And uh, But at yep. the time, she, she had a boyfriend and all this other stuff. So I was like, man, this ain't going to work. And um, I didn't really know what to do. So I just wrote a bunch of songs on my own. And um, just started going to shows because, like, as I'm from South Jersey, all my friends just stayed in this area. So they all, like, already were going to shows all the time. So I just went to shows with them. And through that, I discovered, like, the Philadelphia scene and, like, you know, Cabbage Collective shows that became our five shows. And uh, all going to the church, the First Unitarian Church, which is, like, my favorite place to see a show forever. And yeah. So I was just around, you know. And uh, what ended up happening started happening really quickly. So um, <clears throat> I ended up getting a different job at Temple because my mom was like, why don't you apply for one of the jobs on the psych units? And I did. So I've been working in, a, in, in an acute inpatient psychiatric unit for the past 18 years now. And um, it's, been, it's a gig. It's not bad. It's not the worst thing I've done. And um, yeah. it, it allowed me the freedom to explore music on my own terms. So what happened was real quick, like Dave, who's been my best friend since seventh grade, we started a band together called Hey Angel. And uh, we played a lot with, because uh, he was in Step Ahead with Dave Hawes, who was in The Loved Ones and is now, you know, Dave Hawes. And um, yep, yeah, like, yep. they, yeah, they became The Loved Ones and we started a band called Hey Angel. And um, it was uh, with Brendan Hill, who played drums in Step Ahead with Adolf and Hawes. And um but now it was me and Dave and Brendan, and we played in a band called Hey Angel. And the same weekend that Hey Angel played our first show, I had another band that I had joined because um, I was just going to a lot of crusty shows at the time. And I met a bunch of like punk rocker dudes that didn't play punk. They played non-traditional punk rock. So I was in a post-rock band called Belagost, and that was with... Uh, members of the fighting dogs and crucial unit. And, um, one of the guys in that band was in Thursday for like 20 minutes. And he was like, it was like, um, we, we were a band for like maybe four years and we wrote something like three songs, but, uh, <laughs> each song, each song took like an hour to play. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, we played with bands. Yeah. We played with bands like mono and, um, like that kind of like, non-vocal rock and we were uh it was fun because it was like everybody was like a punk rocker but we didn't play traditional punk rock music so um you know we got to play with bands like the holy mountain we got to play with bands like like i said mono from japan which was like my favorite and just like that kind of we played with a bunch of weird bands but we were a weird band we were a band that was named after a castle of dwarves from the first age of middle earth it was very nerdy and um, yeah, it was really fun. Very, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very specific. We had a white tour bus that we named Shadowfax, which, of course, is the name of Gandalf's horse. But um, so, yeah, so I was doing two bands right at that time. And um, I thought they were good, but we didn't really play out very, like, 
Hey Angel played a bunch, but then we didn't really get anywhere, you know what I mean? And uh, we were kind of like a more... I played bass in that band, and I sang. And it was very, like, okay. uh, alternative 90s, like, alternative worship, you know what I mean? So, like, that was yeah. the beginning. And then Belgas, like I said, was like, uh, Godspeed you Black Emperor if they were, like, a bunch of punk rockers. Like, that's what that was. And um, both bands were very formative for me. Like, they definitely informed a lot of, like, how I wanted to conduct myself in bands, for better or for worse. And um, after that, I played in a band called uh, Halo of Snakes. I don't know if you heard that. I sang for that band. Members of Autumn and Hot Cross and um, my friend Brandon, who, again, was in Champion and then, like, American Nightmare for a little bit and all those bands, and he played drums. And it was very uh, chaotic, screamy, screamy hardcore. So uh, it was really fun. I got That was the first time that I actually got to just sing for a band and um, I really enjoyed it. And then eventually Warren from The Boils came on as our drummer. And um, we put out two records. I think they're pretty good. And um, no was one it, liked Was this. it daunting putting down the bass and just singing? Um, it was terrifying. It was for sure, like, yeah. not comfortable putting down the thing that separates me from everything else. You know what I mean? But yeah. also, yeah, you, absolutely. Know, you can't see, like. We got to play with bands like Rorschach. We played with Coliseum. We played with like a bunch of like heavy hitter bands that I loved as a kid, you know? So it was yeah. uh, definitely a very important band for me. Like we got to play with 108. We got to play with Vision. And um, it I, I was playing with, with George from Autumn, who is like a band that like I used to love. And Matt, who was in Satia and in Hot Cross, he played bass in this band. And it was just really a very strong camaraderie. And that was the first time that... Um, I got to play with Dave Wagonshoots, who was in Lifetime and in Ink and Dagger and in Kid Dynamite. And uh, he filled in for yep. a couple shows, and we became really good friends through that band. And then when uh, Cross Keys uh, lost our second drummer, <laughs> uh, Wagonshoots wasn't playing in anything. And I was like, hey, man, I got a band that maybe needs a drummer if you want to try out. And uh, I say try out, but really, I was just like, please join my band. And then he's such a gracious and yeah. kind friend that he did. <laughs> and so that's what it's been for the past two years now. But um, yeah, Halo of Snakes was after Belagost and Hey Angel. Oh, so after ha Halo of Snakes uh, kind of broke up because uh, Warren moved to Virginia and Matt moved to Portland. So we were no more. And then after that, I did a band called uh, Only Glory. And that was um, Warren like came back from Virginia for a little bit and we did a six song EP. And that was with uh, BK who played bass in Go for the Throat and The Curse. And uh, it's with my friend Rick, who is a bouncer at the Trocadero, and my friend Bruce, who's just my friend and is awesome. And then after that, I did a band with BK again called Kochiyama, and that was with uh, my friend Cami, who is singing, and uh, my friend Kevin playing guitar, and uh, this dude, um, uh, I forget that guy's name. But yeah, yeah, it was a, that was a fun band too. And another scenario where we put, we wrote a six-song EP and put out a T-shirt, played three shows, and then our singer moved to California. It's like fuck. And oh, then, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then after that, it was uh, it was Cross Keys. And oh, I also do another band now called Aspect Ratio, which is a duo, and uh, it's me and my friend Carly who plays drums and sings, and I play guitar and sing. And um, that band just writes songs about movies so it's like the confluence of like my cinema thing and my rock and roll thing so so yeah that's like both worlds colliding there yeah yeah i figured it was about to happen so i mean like 
A lot of my uh, the music <laughs> that I write, like Cross Keys is named after a Wes Anderson reference, you know, like it's pretty obvious, I think. So yeah, whatever. It's just what it is. It's in the DNA, you know. For, for those for those like myself who can't pick the reference, what's it about? Uh, in the Grand Budapest Hotel, there is the Society of the Cross Keys, which is the society of the uh, the um, hotel staff that call each other and like they all have the cross keys on their lapels. And um, right. what happened was I got a tattoo of it after I saw that movie. And when uh, we started playing together, Andrew, who plays bass, was like, why don't we name our band after one of your dumb tattoos so you won't have to get another <laughs> dumb tattoo? And I was like, oh, great idea. That's why you're a lawyer. So, yeah, you know. That's, right. that's, <laughs> that's what it was. So you, like, you've done a lot of time playing in bands. Yeah, yeah. It's like the one like, thing that truly gives me joy. Were any of them busy enough where you kind of had to put work on the back burner or you, did you always just make it work like as it make it work as in like you know take holidays or just go away for the tour for the weekends or whatever you just make it work you know what i mean like yeah you, like for me the way it's worked is that my job i work a day shift at a mental hospital right so i'm done by 3 30 every day so if you can okay. manage your time appropriately you can both cultivate a podcast empire and play in some pretty kick-ass <laughs> yeah. bands without it like fucking up yeah. everything else. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. it's it's one of the things that like I know I'll never stop doing. Like even if every single band falls apart, I'm still gonna be stuck with a guitar singing to nobody or everybody. It doesn't matter. And um, that's yeah. all, that's just what it is. So you know, I, I have a. So to, I, I don't know what it is. It sucks sometimes. To to make a weird pivot. How did you get into the line of work that you're in? Because you said you studied biology and secondary secondary school teaching. Mm. How do you end um, up working at a at a mental hospital? Oddly enough, taking care of the mentally ill is not unlike teaching high school, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure any high school teacher that you know would tell you the same thing. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, no, and uh, it's the it's the best concept that i have i know it's all tied up in the uh um the insurance companies that drive everything and so on and so forth but also it's the easiest way to express compassion for my fellow person without having to compromise my own personal ideals to the degree of feeling like i'm a cop you know what i mean like i help people and i know that about myself i'm the kind of person that doesn't believe in angles right like i really appreciate direct roots And I really appreciate uh, true motives for doing things. Now, everybody has to do something that makes a living. That's just, you know, part and parcel of living in a capitalist society. But also, if you can get a job, or at least for me, it was important to find a job where I can help people from day to day in ways that can stand apart from being a part of a huge industry. So helping in, especially in working in North Philadelphia, working behavioral health, is just a part of my art. Not that it informs what I write, but it reminds my heart of what it's like to care. And that's a very big part of who I am as a songwriter. They also don't give a shit if I'm covered in tattoos. So, you know. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. So do we have, fuck, so do we have a song that kind of, like, yeah, is there a song that kind of sums up those, I guess for the lot, like those last, the years of playing in, lots of different bands and actually picking up the guitar and kind of going for it. You mentioned 
you're a big Billy Bragg fan, but then you mentioned that a million other bands. Like, is there something that kind of sums all that up? Yeah, there's a song called I Keep Faith by Billy Bragg on Mr. Love and Justice. I would suggest the solo version of that song because it's the most gorgeous thing. If you want to meet the weather You have to take the blame If sometimes dark clouds fill the sky and it starts to rain Folks complain And though your head may tell you to run and hide Listen to your heart And you'll find me Right by your side Because I keep faith I I do keep faith in you If you think you have the answer Don't be surprised If what you say is made with anger Contempt and lies No matter how hard you may want to Just walk away Reach out, you'll find me there beside you Fall off the way Because I Start again, because I 
So okay, let's talk about let's talk about Cinepunks, your podcast you do, and let's talk more about Cross Keys, um, the band you do, or the one of the bands you do, as it turns out. Um, how do the you said you've been doing? Look, I'm not sure if we talked about it before or in the chat, but you said you've been doing it for six years and you're up to a hundred and something episodes. Yeah. How? What made you? What made you? I mean, obviously, besides a love of movies, what made you kind of go down that avenue of? talking a bit like actually having guests on and going deep on it with a podcast well i used to be a member of the philadelphia film society and uh there was only one other member of the film society that i knew that was covered in tattoos and went to hardcore shows and that is my partner liam my friend liam o'donnell there you go and um what happened was the film society was definitely a society that was not as focused on film and was much more focused on um, a different aspect of film culture that I'm not really good at, you know what I mean? Which is like mingling and schmoozing and all this other, like talking with like cinephiles about stuff in ways that I don't really talk to people. So um, me and Liam... What's the purpose of the group? Like The film society is, is just like any film society. Like they do screenings and they have like, they do the advanced screenings for movies and they host parties okay. where you can go and like hang out and talk to other nerds. And like, there's also like they have um, now at the time they didn't have them, but now they have two theaters in the city of Philadelphia that is dedicated to their programming. But um, yeah. at the time they didn't, and th- th- it's cool. It was a cool thing to be a part for a little bit, but as we moved through the ranks and like got further up in the organization, we kind of like recognized that like you know it's really a hard place because like everybody was like, you know, of the hegemony sets. It was like a bunch of old white dudes with like a lot of money. And, um, it was, again, it's fine for what it is, but for my purposes, it definitely didn't enrich me or indulge me in ways that I wanted to learn or experience film. So Liam and I were like, you know what? Fuck this. We're out. And we both quit the film society at the same time. And we started Cinepunks because we're like, we still want to see movies. We still want to talk about movies, but we want to talk about it through the lens of who we are, which is, you know, um, people of color and punks. Like, that's who we are. Like, we're not white and we like punk and we like movies. So the concept then became like, well, maybe we can find out if people in the punk world have a cinematic profile that they, you know, indulge in. Or conversely, if film people that we know have punk roots like it was an interesting enough question to to consider and um that was 107 episodes ago and we've not stopped and i mean like just like every band that i've ever done cinepunks is truly just a testament to friendship and that's really all that i care about like that's the thing that drives a lot of the projects that i take on and it's that liam's one of my best friends and i love talking to liam and i will continue to do so until i have nothing else to say which will never happen you know and um which, yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it's awesome like i really do love it it's um it's it we've managed to uh, see a lot of movies and we've managed to have a lot of really weird and interesting guests and um it's definitely one of my favorite things. It's I count it as a band because, you know, with as far as time management goes, you have to spread it out the same way you spread out practices, right? Like 
You have to make oh, sure you watch absolutely. all the movies. You have to talk about them. And yep. like, you have to not sound like an asshole, which is probably the hardest thing for me. But, um, yep. you know, it's, it's still like truly like cathartic in ways that like bands are cathartic for me. Like just more discovery about yourself and your perspective on art. It also still has that concept of like, um, you know, something will hit and something won't hit and you'll play in front of three people and you'll play in front of 3,000 people and you'll do it no matter what because you love it. Absolutely, yeah. It's because I love Liam. It's yeah. because I don't want to I don't want to not have a project with him and he's a shit musician. So guess what? <laughs> not singing. <laughs> Fair enough. That's unreal. It's a true story, Alrighty, so then yeah. uh, let's... That's gold. Okay, so let's talk about Cross Keys then. Um, is there... Is it... Is it a like obviously it's a serious band? That's not the that's not the question I'm kind of trying to ask. But is it a like is it a band that will potentially do a lot of touring or do you kind of like went like I for me personally when I hit kind of thirty five and my wife and I were kind of like I yeah we were slowing di- not not slowing down but like kind of prioritizing different things. Um, did you, well I come to the conclusion that like I'll never tour. Like, I will never get in the van again. I'll do weekend things and that kind of jazz. Like, are you guys at the same point or are you guys still got that fire of, like, let's fucking get in the van and drive eight hours for, to play for 15 minutes in front of 13 people and then drive another eight hours to do it again? Like, where are you guys at with that? Well, here's the thing. Uh, Wagon Toots has three kids that are all under the age of 10. All of us, yep. uh, Andrew, who plays bass in Cross Keys, is uh, assistant DA to Larry Krasner. And um, Dave is a high school teacher, and I work in a mental health hospital, and Bo is a doctor. He's a, a licensed psychotherapist. So all of us have real, like, live, like, jobs. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we yep. all have, like, yep. and we're all, like, you know, most of us own our homes, and, like, we're married, and, you know, we got, like, actual life things going on. So uh, as far as us, like, getting out there and doing the circuits and all that stuff, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I'm definitely down to, to do shows in far distant places, you know. But also, realistically, yeah. I mean, it's it's truly a band of friends. Like, we are all friends for more than, like, 10, 15 years at this point. And um, it's the one thing, like... Uh, it's the one thing that if I don't do, I'm pretty sure I will just shrivel up and die. And (laughs) if, if I'm going to stave off shriveling up and dying for as long as I can, I'd want to do that with my friends. And so cross is a band, like just literally of friends. That's what it is. And, uh, we love each other and you know, we, we, I write songs about my friends, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, one of the first songs we wrote is a song called Jeff Pelly vs. the Empire. And it's about my friend Jeff Pelly. And, like, that's just yep. what it is. And, you know, we all love Jeff and Jeff loves us. And that's our boy. So I love singing about Jeff. And um, there's a song that we did on this last EP called Everything Breaks. And um, yep. the first line in that song is, I swear, BK, I'm going to quit this shit one day. And that was a direct text <laughs> that I had with BK, <laughs> the bass player yeah. from Kochiyama. And, uh, you know, it, it's like that's truly Cross Keys for me is the purest distillation of everything that I love about my friends and music. And that's why it sounds the way it does. But, uh, yeah, Wagon Shoots is Wagon Shoots is 48 years old. You know what I mean? Like, 
It's not like we're getting any younger. And the funny thing is that Andrew's 37. He's the same age as you. So, like, there's a full 11-year gap between our oldest member and our youngest member. And um, that's wild. We all, like, you know, we're all, like, working towards a thing. But we're all, like, here's the thing. Like, we'll play a show now. And if someone fucks yeah. up before, it used to, like, kill me if I, like, forgot a word or fucked something up. Now we fucked up shows yep. in front of like a bunch of people. And the only thing that happens is a bunch of ball busting and laughing, which is like the yeah, best yeah. scenario for a band. Like that's what you want. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like, like yeah. there, not that there are no stakes. Of course there are stakes, right? Like you want to put out the best product you can and you want to sing from the soul and you want to move with heart, you know, but also like one time we fucked up a show because my glasses fell off. What, am I going to not laugh at that? That's <laughs> fucking hilarious. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. what do you want from me? Like, that shit's funny. I'm not going to not laugh at that shit. You know what I mean? And everyone's going to laugh with me because we're all boys. Like, that's what it is. And um, so have like you I said, have you invested in some Horace Grant glasses? Nah, man. You know, because if it's going to fly, it's going to fly. I'm, I'm here to give it all. You know yeah. what I mean? And if that includes my yeah, vision, yeah, yeah. then so be it. Like, I, I here's yeah. the thing, man. I'm a bald, fat man. You know what I mean? Like. I, I, yep. When I sing, I sweat a lot, and then I'm like a newborn baby. So uh, you wouldn't expect a newborn to keep glasses on, would you? And that's the same thing with yeah, cross right. Like It's just <laughs> what it is, man. There's a lot of head banging and not a lot of hair. So, you know, things move. Yep. And I'm okay with it. I've made peace yep. with it. It's yep. just part of my art now. It's yep. what it is. <laughs> and people can either get on or fuck off. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's man. That's, that's where I'm at, you know? And, and, and at this point, it's like... Again, we we played like a like we played with Strike Anywhere, and that was a sold out show at a brewery. That was fucking wild. And we played with H two O. We played with like a bunch of really like well well respected and big bands. But we've also played like you know in basements with like one of the best shows we played was with a band called Slumped. Do you know this band? No, I've never heard of them. They're from like California, and they they were on tour, so they asked us to play for some reason. I don't know why. But they're all like 19 years old and they put out this amazing record that nobody that age should be able to write. And that was one of my favorite Slumped. shows. It was like so good. Yeah. And it was just like a ridiculous time. And like those kids were way stoked to hang and like play with us. And like the drummer was like, I don't believe Dave Wagonshoots is going to play on my drums. And I was like, yeah, man, I get it. I can't believe he's in my band. <laughs> like, how about that? Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's fucking it's super fun. Like, I love just the process of making music of using my voice for something more than talking to people, but still just talking to people. You know what I mean? Like I, I make no, yeah. uh, I make no reservations about what it is that I do and who it is that I am. I respect that. I'm just like a dude that likes to sing. You know what I mean? Like that's it. That's as yeah. I mean, like there are funny things that have happened along the way. Do you know about the cross keys shirts, by the way? Go on. Uh, I'll probably do Grace, but refresh my memory. My friend, Grace Kim, is the tailor for Rihanna. And uh, Grace is one okay. of the few Asian people in the Philadelphia hardcore scene that lives in New York now that, um, you know, like I said, when you grow up, the other person that has slanty eyes and yellow skin is automatically your friend if that's who you are, you know? So Grace has always been like yep. my friend as long as I've known hardcore. So when she's on tour with Rihanna, she has a lot of downtime and she makes me a new button-up floral shirt for every show that Cross Keys has played over the past four years. So if you ever see any pictures of us playing, it's um, I'm always wearing a shirt that she made. 
I've noticed you dress a lot better than the normal front man or front person of a band. So that, The only that rule is that no matter it. what she makes, I have to wear it. So she could make me a shirt with that's a bunch fair. of dildos on it and I'll still have to wear it, but that's just what you, that's the price you pay. You know what I mean? I'm into it. That's, that's it. It is. It is. <laughs> <That's so good>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So every single, every single show that we played, I've had a new shirt for. And at the end of every show that we play, I take the set list and I staple it to the shirt and then I file it away. So it's a weird collection. <laughs> Fuck. That's amazing. It That's started because incredible. I wanted I wanted Grace to measure me with the same tape measure that she uses on Rihanna's bod. So then by transference, I'd have touched bods with Rihanna. That was my plan. And then it just never stopped. <laughs> this has been amazing. This has been fucking incredible. I'm I'm so stoked we got to chat. I'm so fucking stoked. And I'm Me too, yeah, man. You're I'm, awesome, Joel. I want you we, to know. Yeah, I respect yeah. your show and I respect you a lot. This is really fun. Thank you very much. I look, I try. I'm just a I'm just a kid. I'm just a 40 37 year old kid who's just, you know, who 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 like when I when my wife and I had our son, like I was big into podcasts and that kind of thing and but when my wife and I had my our son, we were like, I was like, fuck, I can't do like, I can't really do this band thing much anymore. Like I I, I now play in a band again, but like on different terms that I used to. But I was like, I still want to be connected with musicians and people I respect and that all that kind of everything that kind of comes along with playing in playing in punk rock and hardcore bands. But I was like, I can't do that anymore. There's got to be another way. And I was like. I'll just, I've got this idea for a podcast. Let's see what happens. And this will be episode 47 in three years. So I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the same path as you. You know, I'm yeah, on the man. same output numbers as you. Yeah. So I'm just I want you to there. know, Joel, I have faith in so. you. You know, like, Thank there's you, no sir. reason that the music has to die. And I've, listen, I've moved no, well, you know, yeah. from New Jersey to Philadelphia. I was, there was a minute when I almost moved to New York. And like, you know, there's like a lot of things that can get in the way. But truest hearts yeah. will always speak the loudest. And as long as you stay yeah. true and listen to that heart of yours, it won't lead you wrong. You know what I mean? Like it'll it'll always show you the way to go. And I think as a songwriter and as a person who regularly has to tap in to the inner reservoir of peace and melody, I can honestly tell you that keeping the playfulness alive in your heart that's the thing. That's the voice. That's the mover that keeps me holding guitar for better or for worse in front of anybody or nobody. And uh, I see it in you. And that's just from Instagram. That's just from social media. And that's why I, I mean, Thank like, you, as much as I like talking to people, I also don't like talking to people. You know what I mean? Like, that's not my thing. But um, yeah. I have no reservation talking to you because I definitely can respect and have faith in you. And, um, I think Thank that's, you, a, so that's much. you know, one of the things that I talk to Billy Bragg a lot about is um, I have imposter syndrome, right? I have this feeling of like, man, I don't fucking belong here. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I barely can play guitar. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like a New Jersey kid, like whatever. Like, I don't really know anything. And he always yeah. impressed upon me. He told me, you know, I'm not his fan. I'm his peer. And it was one of those like, odd things that just one person can say to me that like fucked my shit up. You know what I mean? He said, we share yeah, the grand tradition yeah, of well, song truly. and you are not my fan. I'm your peer. 
Like he said those words to me at the Philadelphia Public Library of all places, and it fucked me up, man. Like it yep. made me feel like I I didn't want to cry because my wife was there and Billy Bragg was there, but yep. then a little bit of a the cry happened. I'm not gonna lie to you, it, I yeah. cried. Yeah, yeah, I did. It's cool. Yeah. I also I'm cried a, when I'm I met Danzig, crying, though, so crying. that's a thing. Yeah, yeah th- you know, I met Danzig at yeah. the screening of Erotica, and uh, yeah, I cried a little bit there too. So you know, it's not that special, yeah. Billy Bragg. I'm just saying, you know, like, yeah. Th- yeah. but. The point I'm trying to make is that singers don't die. Musicians don't die. And I know people say that moving and jobs and children will kill songs. You can close any door, but you can never kill a song. And I truly do believe that. And I think that that's, that's a thing that us as people who know the magic of being in music, of even specifically being in hardcore and punk, that's a light that we need to carry. That's a torch that we need to hold high. And I believe in it. I believe in it in the way that I believe in myself. And I can see that in you. And that's why you got to keep on doing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be cheesy. I'm not trying to be corny or anything. I'm just trying to be honest with you. No, no, like, no, no. There's no. so many times. Yeah. Like, Liam had to move two hours away from here and has a three-year-old daughter. You know what I mean? Like, there are obstacles. Yep. It's hard. But... Yeah. The only thing harder than that distance is love. And the only thing that I have for Liam is love. So I know for a fact that no matter where he moves to or no matter what job he does or like how many more kids he has, we're always going to do Cinepunks because we're always going to be Cinepunks. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I don't know. It makes me, it makes me scared to think of a future where, these things are commodified and are destroyed by capital or whatever else or distance or any of that stuff. And I take it as a personal um, mission to try and help people along the way. You know what I mean? To try and like just show that like your words aren't falling on deaf ears, that it's not a void, that there's people out there like me, like these just weird, humble, like old bald men thinking about it. You know what I mean? And that shit's important, man. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> you big dork I'm just saying I'm just I saying yeah. <laughs> Look there's There's no better point To end it with that Like there's I mean you, Like please don't let me stop you But like that was Fucking moving That's what that I got man moving. That's all I got for you And that's all I got For anyone that gives Sick. a shit About anything that I've done Over the past 20, 30 years You know like That's all I got yep. All I got is Is honesty And I have faith I have faith in you and uh, I learned Thank that from so. Billy Bragg. I'm not going to lie to you. That's my yeah, shit. Yeah, that's, that's a cool. Yeah. And it, look, if you're going to learn something from someone, that's, you know, that's not a bad mentor. <laughs> you could do a lot worse. It's true. I actually have the perfect song that I'd like to end on. Um, can we do, I, I think that the perfect song that would uh, encapsulate where I am right now is uh, the song Somewhere by Tom Waits. Oh, the Tom Waits version of the um, of the West Side Story song. Of the West Side Story song. You're, a cl- I, I fucking love it. I love it. Because ultimately, you know, it's it's about forgiveness, right? It's about, it's about like you know, I can talk about my dad for hours, but at the end of the day, I'm not mad at the man. I love him. He's my dad. You know what I mean? And like, for all like the weird things and the roadblocks to this ultimate person that I've wanted to be. That, like, you know, through either, like, great love or great anger, he tried to, like, change. At the end of the day, my dad and I are the same person. You know what I mean? And 
I can't think of a better way to end a story about myself <laughs> than the concept of like, you know what? Like I have no, I have no anger and I have no, no animosity or anything. And it's like, it's just love, man. And that's what I got. The place
knows that the dice are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants Chocolates and the long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody Everybody knows the deal is rotten. Old Black Joe's still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. And everybody knows. And everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows the scene is dead But there's gonna be a meter on your bed That will disclose What everybody knows And everybody knows that you're in trouble Everybody knows what you've been through Cross on top of Calvary uh, to the beach 
it's coming upon Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows Yeah, man.